I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of hearing everyone talk about our quote-unquote razor-thin profit margins. It's true. I get it. Uh, the, the, the realities of uh, running a successful restaurant business uh, are what they are. I get it. But uh, for the sake of this episode, I want, us to, I want us to peel back. I want us to step back and, and, and uh, take a 30,000-foot view uh, of, of what we do, how we do it, and, and why we're doing it this way. My question to you is, what if we could generate... 50% profit margins. What if 50% was the was the average, right? Like like all the tech companies out there, they they target 40, 50, 60, 80 uh, or more percent profit margins. What if we did the same? All that on today's episode of Restaurant Strategy. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast dedicated solely to helping you build a more profitable restaurant. Each week, I leverage my 20-plus years in the industry to help you build that more profitable and more sustainable business. I also work directly with operators all over the world through my P3 Mastermind program, and we have just opened up a third group. That's right. We filled up the first two groups, and now we're launching a third group. So if you got a busy restaurant but struggle to generate consistent, predictable 20% profits month after month, then set up a free 30-minute strategy session with someone from my team. We'll get to learn more about you and your restaurant. You'll get to ask some questions about the program to see if you're a good fit for the program. Get started by visiting restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, that link is in the show notes. Now, are you frustrated with managing your catering and private events with pen and paper or outdated programs? Introducing Triple C, the catering sales and event management software built for hospitality professionals by hospitality professionals. With Triple C, you will increase revenue and efficiency all while streamlining your operations. Let Triple C be your catering and event management assistant. Generate leads, create tailored BEOs, facilitate online discussions, obtain electronic signatures, process payments, and everything in between. Triple C has you covered. Elevate and simplify your event management. Take it to the next level with Triple C so you can focus on what truly matters, providing unforgettable experience for your clients. For more information, visit TripleSeat.com slash restaurant strategy. That's TripleSeat.com slash restaurant strategy. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Now, again, like I said at the top, we spent a lot of time talking about razor-thin profit margins. I understand why. The average restaurant, this data is out there, right? The average restaurant uh, will never make more than about 6% profit margin, right? And that's and that's tough. I don't understand why we would do that to generate, I don't know, $100,000 in revenue every month to make $6,000 for ourselves. We just work way too hard. I say this all the time, but uh, I believe restaurant owners deserve a restaurant that works as hard as they do. But it requires us to think about it differently, to be smarter, and to come at it a little bit smarter. 
So let's talk about it, right? Let's talk about what those profit margins mean. I believe in 20% profit margins. That's where I help my clients target, right? And that's a that's a big impact. When we help someone go from 3% to 15% or 6% to 16% or even 10 to 20%, right? It's huge and it's often the thing that changes people's lives. It's why I do what I do. It's uh, literally the most gratifying work I've ever done. To date, we've put more than 100 people through the P3 Mastermind program and profitability is something we focus on. But this week, I have a bigger question, right? This is not about what I do or what you do or how we how we can how how we can do better incrementally. I'm talking about how we bring exponential change and returns to our industry. Why have we limited uh, ourselves as an industry to 10 or 20%, right? I know when I was coming up through the through the industry, and, and now I spent a lot of time in fine dining, and so uh, 10% was the land of unicorns and leprechauns, right? 10% was a magical place. We could get to 10%, we'd be sold. But when you're a $15 million restaurant, $20, $20 million restaurant, uh, I don't know, 10% of that's a, a pretty good living, especially when it's, you know, one or two or three partners, right? That, that's a pretty good return. And especially when you can sort of leverage that into two restaurants, three, 10, 20 restaurants, I get it. So I understand why the books are built for, for fine dining in that way. But I know that most of the people listening to this show, just like most of my clients, they are mom and pop shops, they're family run restaurants, they are businesses that exist to support a family, which is why I understand that it's so crucial that you make a consistent predictable return, specifically something meaningful like 20%, which is what I talk about. But again, my bigger question today is why have we limited ourselves to that? My guess is, my guess is it's because we think people won't pay it. We, there's, a, there's a threshold, and, and I guess we're probably right. There, there is a threshold. But have we ever done the math the other way? Have we ever, have we ever, have we ever gone through the mentality, right? Like what, what if we went into it with the mentality of, hey, this isn't worth it to me. All the work that's required to make a successful restaurant, it's not worth it to me unless I can make 50% profit margins. And if we said to ourselves, what would that look like? Could I create a product and make a 50% return? I, I don't know where that would put us. That's probably at like a 10 or 15% cost of goods sold. That's probably at about 15% labor. And that's probably everything else, right? All your operational expenses, your rent, your utilities, your insurance, your marketing, coming to about 20%. So, okay, if you kept COGS to 15, labor to 15, and everything else to 20%, that's 15 plus 15 plus 20, that equals 50. So that's your 50% return. So well, the question is, could we do it? And, and I think the reason we don't do it is because we, we don't stop. We don't stop enough and ask. We, we, I, most, of the, most of the people that I work with, most of the restaurants that I've worked for over the years, just sort of do the, do things the way that the, that we do things. We, we do things the way we were taught, the way that we've done every other restaurant and all of that. But but I, I don't know, Maybe I, I, I feel a sea change coming in this industry. Now, can everybody get away with doing that? I don't know, and, I, and, that's, and that's sort of beside the point. I think what's coming for our industry, five, 10 years down the line, 
I think looks very different from what we have now. So I've said this on past episodes, right? I, I had Anthony Valletta on the show. He's the president of Bar Taco. Uh, he came on the show as they were uh, opening their 27th location. And he talked very honestly about this new service style that they basically created. And he said it's a full service restaurant, but it doesn't have full service waiters. Uh, there's, a, there's a digital component to how you order. Now, there's still service, there's still a presence on the floor, but those servers have very different tasks and they're utilized in very different ways. And, and he said, and I believe, and I've said before on the show, um, that I believe that's the future of full service dining for many, 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 many restaurants. At least, conservatively speaking, I'd say 50% of the full service restaurants in this country will have adopted some sort of model like that within the next five years. I think it's going to make restaurants much more profitable. I think the, the country is not really ready for what happens when 50% of uh, the waiters in this country um, lose their jobs or there, there's no room for them anymore. Um, I, I think that's going to be a problem that we haven't even started to address. It's one of the reasons why I start talking about this, because I want people to be thinking about what progress looks like and what sort of effects progress will have. But every single time we do make progress in our country, it, it's sort of, right, there's... There's that old thing, right? That that Joseph Schumpeter uh, thing, that uh, that Hayden Christensen, that creative destruction. Creativity by nature is destructive because when we come up with new things, it destroys the old things, the old models, the old systems. I think this new system is coming. My question to you is, if you step back and say, hey, I'm only going to do this. Hey, I'm going to open up a restaurant. I hope to generate $100,000 in revenue. It's only worth it to me if I can take home 50K every single month, that's what this business is worth to me. And my question is, what happens if we take that stance? Do we force ourselves to be more creative, more innovative than we've ever been before? Because what I get really tired of doing, and I say this in the most loving way, is, is uh, you know, and I talk to, I don't know, a dozen, two dozen restaurant owners every single week, uh, people who are considering entering my mastermind. And I talk to them all the time, and I see some people um, are, are stuck. They're not where they need to be, and they're willing to hear new ways of doing it, and they're willing to uh, trust me. And they come into the group, and ultimately they are affected. They are impacted in a positive way. But I see a lot of other people who come in, and they just can't envision it any other way. And I respect where they're at. And I understand how hard uh, running and owning a restaurant is. I, I ran restaurants for many, many, many years. But I have the great fortune of perspective. Uh, not running a restaurant myself, not owning a restaurant myself at this moment, I can step back and think bigger. And, and I guess I, I like being able to think bigger. And I want our industry to be able to think bigger. So what happens? What happens when we, when we place deeper expectations on our business? Now, maybe it's not 50, maybe it's 30%, maybe it's 20%. Maybe you're at 6% profit margin and 20% feels bold and, 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 and crazy like 50%. I don't think 50% seems that crazy. I think we're smart enough to figure out a way, a model, a restaurant, a concept that can make a 50% return. I truly believe that. I'm watching people make 25 and 30% with certain concepts. People ask me, oh, why don't you own a restaurant? I don't own a restaurant because I've never wanted to own a restaurant. I love the industry. I love doing what I do. That's why I do what I do. Just like some people own a restaurant because that's really what they want to do. And I hope everyone out there has a chance to do what they really want to do. But why, have a, why don't I own a restaurant? Why have I never owned a restaurant? Simply because I've never wanted to. But I'll tell you, if it was opening a restaurant, this is how I would do it. Not because I'm greedy, but because I think it's, I think it's more responsible this way.
I want to come up with a, uh, a, a concept, a model that can be very, very profitable. So if business dips down, we go from 50% to 30% rather than going from 15% to minus five. If there's going to be a swing, I want to know that I got plenty of cushion. That's me. And that's probably because I'm risk averse. And that's probably why I don't own a restaurant uh, because I am somewhat risk averse. And I understand the, the inherent challenges of owning a restaurant. And the bigger reason is because I love what I do. Um, that I have a, I have a, uh, an opportunity to impact many, many more people in this way and ultimately provide for my family, you know, in our own little corner of New Jersey here. But it begs the question, what if we were bolder in what we expected from our restaurants? I believe that would force us to come up with newer models, more innovative models. We'd expect more from our businesses and we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't be a sheepish about making money, about, about, uh, about providing for ourselves and our families. There's nothing wrong with that. So what would that look like? And the bottom line is dining out is a luxury. Now, to be honest, I'm not talking about just charging a lot more for the current product you have. I think we all know people, there's a threshold for how much people will pay for a burger and fries, how much people will pay for steak. Uh, although, I don't know, maybe that's moving. Over the last three or four years, it's gone from, on average, you know, 35 or $40 for a decent steak. And when you dine out, now it's $60, $70 at, at a good place out. So, so I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm totally wrong about that. I think people are willing to pay much more than, than we ever really realize. And it's when they're forced to that they will. So I guess I wonder, as an industry, why we don't force them to pay more. That's not the main point I'm making. That's just a side point, right? Dining out is a luxury. And so uh, my, my concern is that we, we always seem to sell it as a commodity. Now, let's talk about this commodity versus luxury. And I talk about this a lot. I just gave a, gave a talk in New Zealand uh, last week uh, about this exact topic, this idea of the luxury mindset versus the commodity mindset. So a commodity is, right? A commodity says this, all things being equal, a consumer will make their decision based on one of three criteria, convenience, familiarity, or price. The perfect example of this is eggs. Eggs or eggs or eggs. Milk, milk is milk, right? Flour, if I'm, if I'm baking cookies with my son and we run out of flour, oh, we just need all-purpose flour. I'm not a pastry chef. Pastry chef's listening or screaming. They're saying not all AP flour is created equal, but for the most people, for most consumers, for most uh, <laughs> amateur bakers out there who make Christmas cookies once a year, uh, AP flour is AP flour. And so if we run out of flour in the middle of making our recipe, we're going to get in the car, go to the supermarket, the closest one to us, meaning convenience. And when we get to the baking aisle, we're going to look at, I don't know, 5, 8, 10, 20 different options of AP flour. And we're simply going to pick the one that's familiar to us, probably the one that we just finished, right? The, the one we bought last time. Uh, the one that's convenient, so am I going to bend all the way down or am I going to get the one right in front of me? Or if they're all sort of in a row, I'm going to I'm gonna look at price and I'm going to make my decision based on price. So flour is the very definition of a commodity product. Uh, I've said this on the show before, but I believe pizza. Pizza is pretty much a commodity product. Pizza is pizza is pizza unless you take it out of that commodity mindset and make it a luxury, not necessarily by charging more, but by differentiating uh, the product in some way. And my point is in all of this, dining out is not a commodity. It is by definition a luxury. We can feed a family of four for 10 or 15 bucks by going to the supermarket, getting rice, beans, and maybe some chicken, right? It's not necessarily a, a particularly interesting meal, but it is a meal and it can feed a family of four for relatively little, you know, two, three, four dollars per person. 
I'm guessing for everybody listening to this podcast that you can't feed a person in your restaurant even if it's a fast, casual, quick service, you can't feed someone for two, three, or four dollars. You can't give them. Uh, you can't give them the rice, the beans, the protein, the the uh, the chicken, all of that. It probably costs much more. At least it's eight dollars a person, right? Seven or eight dollars a person. Probably more like ten to fifteen dollars a person at the lowest level. And for many full-service restaurants, not even talking about fine dining, many full-service restaurants, it's $20, $30, $40 per person. It is expensive to dine out. So if I can cook uh, for a family of four from the supermarket with rice, beans, and chicken for $4, but I'm going to go out and do 5x, spend $20 $20 per person, which is 5x the cost. By definition, it is a luxury. We're asking someone to think of the recipe, create the recipe, prep it, cook it, serve it, clear it away, and clean up everything after we're done. That's what we're paying that 5X markup. We're not paying for the food, we're paying for the experience. Dining out, by definition, is a luxury, right? Same thing when we order in, it's a convenience. It's the luxury of convenience, that I can just tell people what I want, they will just bring it to me fully prepared. That's amazing that we live in a world where people are willing to pay for those kind of luxuries. And yet, and yet enough, too much in our industry, we treat what we do as a commodity product, right? We don't differentiate our product. And if we don't differentiate it, then we can't tell, we can't charge more for it, right? So it's like gasoline. Gas is gas is gas. It's a commodity. You make those decisions based on familiarity, convenience, or price, or let's say need. If, you, if you're on the highway and you need gas, It's not a luxury. You just need it or you're not going to go anymore. So you're going to pick the most convenient one, meaning the closest one, right? Or you're going to go to the one that's by your house if you're not stuck on the highway. Or if you're at an intersection and there's two or three gas stations right there, you're going to look at the prices. They're on a big light-up board, and you're going to pick the one that's cheapest. Again, commodity product, all things being equal, and gas is equal. It doesn't really matter what we put in our car. It's gasoline. We make our decision based on convenience, familiarity, or price. And what I want us to do as an industry is get out of that. Because if we can differentiate it, we can tell people why it's worth going out of the way, why it's worth crossing the street for, why it's worth paying a little or a lot extra for. Now, I just wished we would come at this a little bit differently. So what I'm talking about is meaningful change. And really what I think we want to talk about in the second half of this episode is how we begin to make that change after a word from another one of our sponsors, Don't Go Anywhere. Now, running a restaurant is already a tough job. You're busy keeping customers fed, employees paid while working with those razor-thin profit margins. And the last thing you should be worried about is if you're doing sales tax right. That's why you should consider automating sales tax for your restaurant point-of-sale system. Collecting and filing sales tax on your own can be stressful. It can also be time-consuming. It can leave your business vulnerable to accidentally missing tax payments or not having enough money in the bank to cover your tax obligations. Davo by Avalara simplifies sales tax for your restaurant and brings peace of mind through automation to help you pay the full amount you owe on time. Just integrate the Davo app with your existing POS like Clover or Toast or Spot On and set up your business and banking information. Davo will take sales data from your POS system, determine how much sales tax you collected each day, and then it sends a request to your bank to have your sales tax put into a secure holding account. This keeps your sales tax separate from your revenue and helps reduce potential confusion about available funds. You'll get a daily email from Davo letting you know exactly how much sales tax was transferred. And when your sales tax is due, Davo automatically remits your sales tax to the appropriate authority on your behalf, in full and on time. 
Is your restaurant in a state that does on-time filing discounts? If it is, then Dava will automatically send this refund back to your bank. Don't let sales tax spoil your business. Stay on top of sales tax with automation from Davo by Avalara so you can spend less time in the back office and more time in the front of house. Learn more at davosalestax.com slash restaurant strategy and try Davo free for the first month. That's D-A-V-O salestax.com slash restaurant strategy. You will find that uh, link also in the show notes. Now, we're talking about a mindset shift, right? Uh, we're talking about a systemic change for an entire industry. So the question is, how do we do it? How does it begin? And, and I guess first and foremost, is it even possible? I'm gonna tell you, I promise you, it is possible. And if we expected more from our businesses, I think we would go into it a lot better off. We said, hey, I'm not gonna open this business unless the following thing could happen. I'm watching that. I've got a client who closed his restaurant um, a couple of, uh, I don't know, almost a year ago, uh, moved to a different city and started catering, just launched a catering business because he saw how the restaurant was wearing him down and he was lucky if he got five or eight or sometimes 10% profit and now with his catering business, he's no joke making 60 to 65% margins. And he works because the margins are so great. He has to work much, much less. He's got more time with his family, more time to spend at his church and his community. It's incredible to watch what has happened since moving from the restaurant to a new city and launching this new career with catering. And he basically approached this the way I'm, I'm inviting you to think about it. He said, how can I create a business that has huge huge returns so that I can work less, spend more time with my family, be a, be a larger part of my church and my community at large. What should I do? And he used that to fuel his decisions. So is it even possible? Yes, I believe it's possible. In fact, I know it's possible. Now, of course, we're sitting here and you're saying, oh, well, of course, catering is more profitable. Yeah, but you got to make that decision. You make the decision to say, hey, what could I do that could give me these kind of returns? As an industry, I believe it's the only way forward because we just can't get, we can't keep getting squeezed. Every time inflation goes up, every time labor goes up, every time rent goes up, we just get squeezed a little more. And we pass on a little bit more to the guests, a little bit more to the guests. And every time we pass it on to the guests, we sort of apologize. I know we do. I hear it in the voices, right? And I know everybody's sort of resistant to raising the prices because you're thinking is, where's the threshold? I don't want people to say, oh, this is too expensive. Let's stop going there. And so you're afraid to charge more. And so you're willing to deal with these razor thin profit margins. And, and I understand that. What you do is extraordinary. What we do as an industry is extraordinary. This industry has exploded in this country over the last 30 years. You can draw a, a straight line to when the Food Network launched in 1993 to where we are today. Food culture is huge in our country. There are like 10 to 15 times as many restaurants as there were in 1993 which means more competition, more saturation, more great choices for people to go out to. And that makes our job harder. I know that. But at some point, we have to make the choice to make things easier. So I don't know if you guys are a fan of the Tim Ferriss show. Tim Ferriss is a, is a podcaster. He interviews you know all these uh, huge entrepreneurs and industry titans. And uh, you know he sort of says this a lot of time, and, and it's resonated with me. So what would this look like if it were easy? What would this look like if it were easy? Running a restaurant, what would make it easy? What, what would it look like? I think uh, too often we don't define that. What, what does easy look like? 
how would this how would this be easier? How would this be more uh, more palatable? What would make us excited to jump out of bed and do the work we do? Because I know a lot of you guys are stressed. It's hard to find good people. It's hard to keep those people. You're paying more than you ever had before. Uh, fluctuating uh, menu prices, you know, uh, a looming recession. People are getting a little bit scared. They're holding on to their money a little bit more. They're not going out as much. All of this stuff is just squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And yet I'm looking at restaurants, restaurateurs, I'm looking at concepts, I'm looking at properties all over the country that are still doing very well. In fact, that are doing better than they ever have before. The question is, what's the difference and how can we get out of that small game commodity mindset and start taking that luxury approach? Now, I'm not talking about luxury goods, not telling you guys to all go out and run a fine dining restaurant. It's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about adopting the luxury mindset getting out of that commodity game and playing like a luxury brand plays. There is only one Gucci. There's only one BMW. There's only one you fill in the blank. For luxury brands, there is only one like it. They are individualized. People uh, And people appreciate that and follow that. So how can you create a brand that is differentiated, that is unique, where there's only one like it in the world? This is largely my gripe with Chinese restaurants, with sushi restaurants, with pizza restaurants, with many Mexican restaurants. There's enchiladas, there's fajitas, there's chimichangas, there's, but where's the differentiation? How is this one different from the one down the street than the one in the other town than the one where my in-laws live? They're not. They're not. I can get a rainbow roll, I can get a spicy tuna roll, pretty much anywhere. Why would I go somewhere over another place? It becomes a race to a bottom. Right, becomes a race to the bottom. Familiarity, convenience, and price. All things being equal, I'm going to go to the sushi restaurant near me or the sushi restaurant I know or the sushi restaurant that's a little bit cheaper than the other one because guess what? They're all pretty much the same. I get a spider roll. I get a spicy tuna roll. I get a California roll. get a couple pieces of uh, sashimi. Call it a day. So how do we get out of that? We start shifting it by you expecting more from your business. You can run your business as you're running it now and do this on the side. It's a thought experiment. What I'm asking for you to do is a mindset shift. It's like, man, what, 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 do I need, what do I need from my business? I really need X number of dollars a month from my business. Great. Figure out what that is and then optimize it. Work in reverse to get that. But what doesn't change our industry is by in, uh, increasing our uh, menu prices incrementally, by increasing our pay incrementally. I'd love to get to the place where we just charge a lot more for our, uh, for our food, where we pay our people a lot more, right? This is the, the Henry Ford model. Henry Ford, whatever, 100 years ago, uh, 90 years ago, something like that, when he opened his, uh, his first factories, he paid the average worker five times, on average, <clears throat> five times more than any of his competitors nearby. He did that. He's like, so there's no competition. I'm going to get all of the best workers, number one. And then number two, he did it so he could create a middle, and really it was creating a middle class. And he said, I'm going to do it because I'm going to create customers for my product. Right now, there aren't enough people who can afford my product, but I'm going to pay them. I'm going to therefore put everybody else out of business because they can't find workers. And then all of my workers are going to love my company because I paid them so much better than they could get elsewhere. And they finally have some discretionary income to be able to afford things like my car. It's bold, counterintuitive approach to business. But guess what? It worked. For many, 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 many years, Ford was the only game in town. Still remains one of the biggest, most important 
uh, names in the car industry. But that was how Henry Ford approached that and took a counterintuitive approach to it. So my question is, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you, how can you apply that same counterintuitive approach to what you do, to what we do in the industry? Rather than saying, well, burgers usually about this much. I can't really charge more than this for uh, chicken parmesan. Well, soda's pretty much this. A beer is. How can you just charge what you need to charge to make the returns you need? Again, to quote another really smart guy, right? Uh, Seth Godin always says this, and I, and I use this with my clients all the time. What would you have to do if I told you you had to double your prices tomorrow? What would you have to do so that in the eyes of the consumer, it was worth the new price? Are you going to do that? Absolutely not. I'm, I'm guessing many of you won't. But it's a thought experiment. If you had to, what would you have to do to convince people of the value of your product? Now, it, it got almost that bad over the last year. You had to increase the price of your burger from 12 bucks to 17 bucks, 18 bucks, because prices increased. You had to increase the price of an omelet because eggs were skyrocketing. So that, that, that thought experiment is valid. But for me, it always starts at the beginning. Start with the end in mind. What do you need from your business? And then what does your business look like? What would you have to do to make sure you got that return? And I think too many of us don't do that. We don't know what this is for. That's a really important thing. That's where I really want to end. What's this for? What's your business for? Many times we start a business so that it'll provide for our lives and our lives exist then ultimately to provide for our business. And that's, and that's backwards, man. That is messed up. There's no reason to do it. It's not worth it. You can go have an easier life, probably make the same amount of money or better working for somebody else. And being boss isn't all it's cracked up to be. It's a lot more responsibility, a lot more stress. I don't have to tell you guys that. I get it. I'm a small business owner, even though I don't own a restaurant. I work with tons and tons of restaurants, and I own my own small business, so I get it. I got people to take care of, my family, my employees, my team. It's only worth it to me if I know that it can provide me with what I need. And I would urge all of you, if you haven't done this yet, figure out your number. What would you need it to provide you? I was on a call uh, yesterday uh, with a woman who was considering entering the program. And ultimately, she just wasn't at the right place to be in the program. And I told her that, but I gave her some advice. And she was her business was just starting out. It was just a couple of years old. And I said, your business is just ready to explode. Once it explodes, come back and, and we'll help you sustain it. But right now, you just have to get enough revenue. You got to figure out what you need it to generate, what you need it to make, what you need from it. That's true whether it's a, no matter what kind of business it is. You need to understand what your business needs to do for you. Think of net income as a line item on the P&L. You wouldn't dream of missing your rent payment. You wouldn't dream of missing payroll. You pay all your vendors. Why don't you pay yourself? Figure out what you need and build a business that gets you what you need. I know it's easier said than done, but there's something really simple about that what I'm inviting you to do. So I'm tired of talking about razor thin profit margins. I'm sure you are as well. So collectively, let's agree to shift the way that this industry operates. Is it possible? That's my challenge to you. Is it possible to create a business that generates a 50% return? And if so, why would we not pursue that? Why would we not pursue it? 
that's it for me this week. One final, uh, one final uh, plug for the the mastermind. If you are uh, if you are struggling with profitability, if you're uh, you got a business been around for a little while, uh, you got a good following, you're generating plenty of revenue, you just struggle to generate consistent, predictable twenty percent profit. Let me show you how to do it. Set up a free call with somebody from my team. Uh, you'll get to learn more about the program, ask some questions. We'll get to learn more about you and your restaurant. We'll ask some questions, and we'll ultimately see if we feel like you're a good fit for the program. Not everyone is a good fit, but at the very least, uh, even if you're not, even if you say, nope, this isn't really for me, uh, it's fine. It's a 30-minute free call. You'll come away with some actionable advice. I promise you, uh, you will come away with some value from that call. It's totally free. Uh, set it up by visiting restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, I appreciate you guys being here, and I will see you next time.